previously on Music In My Shoes. So the Beatles have released a new song, Now and Then. I have mixed emotions about it. I thought we'd talk about another album from 1973, Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon. And then finally in September, saw the Psychedelic Furs who open up for Squeeze. Hey everybody, this is Jim Boge, and you're listening to Music in My Shoes. As always, I'm thrilled to be here with you, with the sound of Vic Thrill, kicking off Episode 7. Let's learn something new, or remember something old. So in Episode 5, we spoke about Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon. I've received multiple emails, texts, messages, all different ways people reaching out to me. And you can reach out to us at musicinmyshoes at gmail.com. Again, that's musicinmyshoes at gmail.com. But getting back to what I was saying, Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, people are asking, is that your favorite Pink Floyd album? Well, it's kind of tricky. Yes, it's my favorite Pink Floyd album, but I don't listen to it very often. And the reason being is I really feel you need to listen to it from beginning to end to really get the most out of it. So what do I listen to when I listen to Pink Floyd? Well, actually, 40 years ago, they released an album, The Final Cut. Came out in 1983, last album that they did uh, together with the original members. And that is actually the most played Pink Floyd album on my phone. So some of the songs that are on that, because I think I've only heard one song on the radio since 1983, you never hear them, but Not Now John, Possible Past, Fletcher Memorial Home, Two Sons in the Sunset, and I know everybody is saying, I have never heard those songs ever. (laughs) Including me. (laughs) Well, you know, I believe it. But it actually is the the one album of Pink Floyd I listen to the most. I listen to it more than The Wall. I listen to it now more than I listen to Dark Side. Uh, When I was younger, had the time to listen to Dark Side a lot, you know, from beginning to end. Just don't have that kind of time now. So now uh, it's really been the final cut. The final cut, though, is kind of like a Roger Waters solo album, if you listen to it. Uh, I think there's only one song that David Gilmore sings, which is Not Now John. And when you start to listen to the first couple of Roger Waters solo albums, this really makes sense that this is the precursor to all of that. So I just wanted to put that out there. Since so many people have reached out, I was thinking maybe a few more of you had the same question. We talked about the Beatles Now and Then single on episode three. We gave our opinions on this new Beatles song. Now, first, let me say this. The Beatles are my favorite band. And I don't think that listening to the show that that's come across at all. We've talked about a lot of different bands, a lot of different shows, a lot of different everything. 
But in all honesty, the Beatles really, truly are my favorite. And they're the ones why I got this love of music. I just have to say, I was expecting something closer to Free as a Bird from 95 or Real Love from 96. All three of those songs came from the cassettes that Yoko Ono had given to the Beatles. We talked about that, you know, in episode three. But I wanted to kind of just say, I just expect a a little bit more closer to that. So after episode three, I did not listen to the song again until about a week ago. And when I listened to it, you know, I just was like, all right, let me just give it another try. Let me see what I think. Let me go into it a little bit more open-minded than how I was previously. And I eased up a bit on my thoughts. And I, I do really like the chorus. Let me put it out there. And I did mention that last time that we talked about it. You could really hear Ringo in the chorus. You could hear Paul. I really like it. I think that's very Beatlesque. the chorus. All right. You know, part of the harmony later in the song, you know, as I was thinking about it, it's reminiscent of the Sun King from 1969's Abbey Road. So I was enjoying that. And I think I kind of missed that, you know, the first few times that I listened to it. I still wish George did the slide guitar on the song. He didn't. Paul McCartney did the best he could to to imitate how George would have done it. Mm Mm-hmm. I still wish that it was George, but it never progressed to that point as they tried to record it, and due to the technology at the time, it just didn't work. And I've read in in multiple uh, publications that basically George thought the song was rubbish. So it never got to that point where George was going to do any sort of, of solo. So looking back at Now and Then... And looking forward to then and now, you know, I like it better. I think I just expected something. That's not what it was. But like a lot of music, you know, I give it time. I re-listen to it. I mean, not everything is the way you think it's going to be. That's not how life is. It's not that way in music either. Everybody has to change and do different things. Because if we heard the same Beatles song, She Loves You, and they just change it to he loves you, and they change it to your mom loves you, you wouldn't like them, <laughs> would you, Jimmy? You know, the, the, that's the upcoming Beatles outtake, your mom loves you. Uh, <laughs> you know, maybe... Yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah, you know what? Think about it. Your mom's, you know, saying, hey, you know, take the garbage out, you know, uh, put stuff in the dishwasher, clean your room, and you're going, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So right. I, I like that. I like that. that. That's pretty good. So on December 11th, 1968, the Rolling Stones had a bunch of other bands, a few select friends, and they did this thing called the Rock and Roll Circus. Included was Jethro Tull, The Who, The Dirty Mac, Taj Mahal, and of course the Rolling Stones. So... When I was growing up, I read a book probably about 1981. It was a paperback book about the Rolling Stones. And back in the day, a band would go on tour and they release a paperback book so that they could take some more money from you. And in this book about the Rolling Stones, it talked about the rock and roll circus. And I had never heard of it before. I'm like, I've never seen an album by that. I've never heard of any film by that. 
But it turns out they filmed it, they recorded it, but they never released it. And it didn't actually come out until 1996. So when it came out, I got the DVD, immediately watched it that night, and everything that I had hoped it would be after all these years of waiting for it, it really was. So Jethro Tull, believe it or not, the guitarist at the time, and it was only for like two or three weeks, was Tony Iommi, who ended up being in Black Sabbath, who we talked about in episode six of Music in My Shoes. It didn't work out, believe it or not, with Jethro Tull. I'm laughing because even now... Thinking about him being in Jethro Tull, there's no way that you could see that it would actually work. Nope. The Who, so The Who played, and um, they they really did a good job. I mean, you know, some of the rumors of why the Rolling Stones didn't release it is because they almost felt like The Who did a better job than what they did. Um, But the Rolling Stones played, you know— 13, 14, 15 hours after this whole production had begun. So people were tired. It was late. It was long days. The Who played much earlier. They were fresh. They were, they were good to go. The Dirty Mac. So the Dirty Mac was a band, a one-time band, consisted of John Lennon on guitar and vocals, Eric Clapton on guitar, Mitch Mitchell on drums from the Jimi Hendrix experience, and Keith Richards on bass. So they played Your Blues, which was a Beatles song off the White Album, which was a popular album out at that time. And on the deluxe version, you can actually hear them do Revolution, which is pretty cool. They do a pretty good job with it. Eric Clapton also was on the White Album, when he did the lead guitar solo on While My Guitar Gently Weeps, the George Harrison song. So definitely a connection. And I'll be honest, while I was driving over here, I was thinking about it. Next year, a future episode, you know, we're going to do something with Eric Clapton and all the different people that he's played with and songs that people have been with that you don't even know that they're on the album or he's on the album and we'll get into George Harrison's wife, Patty Boyd, and Eric Clapton. But that's a whole episode uh, down the road, and I'm looking forward to that. So when I watched this, this video, like I was saying, back in 1996, Taj Mahal comes out and plays. And he plays this, this song, Ain't That a Lot of Love. That has been one of my favorite songs since the first time that I've seen it. I listen to it a lot. The deluxe edition of uh, Rock and Roll Circus actually has about three more songs by Taj Mahal, blues artist. We've talked before about the Rolling Stones always kind of paying you know homage to the to the people that have come before them and to blues people. They continued you know as they toured to have Taj Mahal come out and either open for them or come out and play songs with them, you know. Even up into the 2000s, they were doing this. That's so, cool. you know, it was a good relationship that they had made with him. Brian Jones of the Rolling Stones, this was his last performance with them. Again, it's December 1968. In June 
1969, he was kicked out of the band for some addictions that he had and was not really contributing to the band anymore. Remember, he was a, a founding member. He was so much mm-hmm. of what the Rolling Stones were when they first started. And then, unfortunately, he was found dead in his pool in July of 1969. So in a, a seven, eight-month period there, there was a lot that happened with the Rolling Stones, and not all of it good. No. You know, not all of it good at all. The guitar that Keith Richards used in Rock and Roll Circus, I actually got to see. It was on display at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City in 2019. And they did a display of drums, pianos, bass, keyboards, you know, anything that had been used in making rock and roll music. And they actually had this guitar, and this guitar is really different from all others. It's a Gibson, but that's not what makes it special. What makes it special is that Keith Richards had taken like a paint-type pen, and he started to do artwork on the guitar. So it's very different than all others. I saw it at this art exhibit, and when I got through, they had three posters that you could purchase. One of them was Steve Miller. I don't remember what the second one was, but the third one was the picture of this guitar. And I asked the person, they said, it's only the last one that we have. I said, let me have it right now. And I got it. I have it at my house. I have it framed in my basement. Every time that I walk around towards the refrigerator, I can see this this poster because this guitar is just so cool. And it wasn't used very often at all by Keith Richards. And being, you know, there and taking pictures of it, and I just could feel the whole rock and roll circus thing all over again going off in my head as if I was actually there. That's cool. If you listen to the album... I love it. Five of the songs are off Beggar's Banquet. One song doesn't appear until Let It Bleed, which came out in 1969. But And that one song is You Can't Always Get What You Want. Mm. All right? So they waited to the next album before they actually released it. But it's got Jumpin' Jack Flash, Parachute Woman, No Expectations, You Can't Always Get What You Want, Sympathy for the Devil, and Salt of the Earth to me, are six great songs that the Rolling Stones do. Mm -hmm. What I really like about this, you can't always get what you want. It's their first live performance. It's really raw. It's a bit edgier than the studio version. And the studio version's kind of more refined. Love the song, but I really love the way that they do it here. You know, it's not all pretty. There's no choir, choruses, nothing. It's just them and, and it's really, really good. Love listening to it. The, the whole album is, it's funny because they didn't release it. It's really good. It's not perfect. You can hear where there's some mistakes or maybe they weren't at their best at certain times. But I really like it. It's almost got that kind of like when uh, bands used to do like the John Peel sessions. And they'd play live in studio for the BBC. Right. It's just so good. Um, 
I don't know why they waited till 1996, but they did. And here's the funny part. The funny part is, is that they go to edit it, and they only can find part of the film. And then somehow they start talking to someone from The Who, and they've got part of it in their vaults. Like, how did that happen? How is that possible? But it did. Weird things happened in 1969. Yes. Uh, What ends up happening is that they get it all together, and they release it, and it's a great piece of history, something that I really enjoy immensely. I really do. It's one of those things that it comes out and it meets all the expectations of what you had set your mind to and came out in 1996. It's 2023 and I was listening to it on the way over here. It's something that I listen to a lot. So recently, Mars Williams, the longtime saxophone player with the Psychedelic Furs, passed away. I talked about him and the band in episode one. I had seen them play with Squeeze up in Asbury Park. And some of you might say, I'm not familiar with him, but I'm telling you now, you definitely are. He is the saxophone player on the song that comes out every single year that you either love it or you hate it. And it's called Christmas Rapping by the Waitresses. Right. So... That song, if you listen to that song without his saxophone playing, without his little part that he does, that's as much as, that's as important as anything else in that song. Right. Yeah, it is. And he does a wonderful job. Does a wonderful job with it. Um, He also played saxophone on their single, I Know What Boys Like. But really, Christmas Rapping is a song that I think that will go on eternally and people will always know it. Because they played at Christmas time. And again, a lot of people don't like it, including my mother. <laughs> and a lot of people do, including myself. So I mentioned I saw him in September, but I also saw him back in September of 1984. He actually was playing with Billy Idol. I saw Billy Idol on the last show of the 84 tour at the Nassau Coliseum. And he played saxophone on the song Love Calling, which was strange because he played saxophone on the Rebel Yell album on the song Catch My Fall. But yet, here he was playing it on a a totally different song. So I thought that maybe we could revisit Billy Idol, Rebel Yell, because it actually came out. 40 years ago, November 10th, 1983. Oh, yeah. And I thought that'd be a great segue, you know, going from Mars Williams right into it. So Rebel Yell, back in 83, it's another one of those albums that there was always a, you know, it seemed like the album went on forever. And what I mean by that is it comes out in November 83, but in the spring of 84, it's still playing. And it's still playing in the fall of 84, you couldn't get away from it. I mean, I was on spring break in the spring of 1987, and it was in heavy rotation. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I mean, that's what it, the kind of album that it was. You know, some of the songs, Rebel Yell, uh, Eyes Without a Face, Blue Highway, Flesh for Fantasy, Catch My Fall, 
Do not stand in the shadows. So Catch My Fall, again, we were just talking about Mars Williams. That's another one of those songs. I don't think the song is what it is without Mars playing on it. Really, really good song. Rebel Yell, it just seemed like every time people would start singing that, everyone would pick like their fist up and, you know, do that Billy Idol fist pump thing in the air. Yeah. Uh, Again, it was on all the time. I mean, you could not, honestly, you couldn't get away from it. And it's, it's become a signature song, too. I think, you know, that defines kind of Billy Idol to me is that tune. I would agree with you on that, you know. You know, originally, before that, on his first solo album, when he did Dance It With Myself, I think that was like, oh, this is a Billy Idol thing. And then all of a sudden, Rebel Yell comes out and was like, that's the song. And yeah. here all these years I mean, later. White, White Wedding, too, but something about Rebel Yell, you know, kind of makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. It's It's just... Billy doing what he does. And Billy is still touring. I mean, he has a, a, a full load of shows that he's going to be doing in 2024. He still sounds pretty good. You know, not everyone does, but he does. He does, yeah. He, As I mentioned in the last show, uh, I got to mix a thing that he was singing on, and it's like he was great. He sounded awesome. I didn't have to help him out, you know. That's always a good thing. <laughs> uh, Roth, not as much. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's a whole nother story there. So why don't we move over? I definitely wanted to hit one of my all-time favorite albums that came out in 1978, so that's uh, 45 years ago. June 6, 1978, The Cars, the first album by The Cars. Yeah. I will say this now. I have always believed that that album could have come out in 1978, 79, 80, 87, 92, 23, whatever year, and it would be successful. I think that that album is so good. Um, For those of you that don't remember some of those songs, Good Times Roll, My Best Friend's Girl, Just What I Needed, and those are the first three songs (laughs) before we hit anything else. Right there alone, most bands would love to have had those three songs. Yeah, and then you flip the album over, right? And then it doesn't it open up with Bye Bye Love on the other side? Or? It actually opens up with You're All I've Got You're Tonight. You're All I've Got Tonight. And then it goes then into Bye Bye right, Love. Like, like a quarter of a second after yeah. the end of You're All I've Got Tonight goes into Bye Bye Love, and then it goes into Movie and Stereo, right? Right, yeah. and then into All Mixed Up. And it is... It's just fantastic. And unfortunately, Rick Ocasek, Benjamin Orr, they're no longer with us. They did a great job. I think they did a good job as a band knowing, you know, who was singing what and how they were going to play it. I I think they did a great job of balancing that whole thing to make that a really good band. And uh, honestly, 20 years from now, I think they can release this album and people will like it. I agree. It's it's. Timeless rock, and it was ahead of its time. The stuff that they did with keyboards was like so cutting edge at the time, but also just like completely accessible, really tasty rock and roll. And they got lucky. They had Roy Thomas Baker, who produced the album, that was unbelievable. He really knew how to maximize all the things that you just talked about and to get the most out of it. And he did great. I don't think you could yeah. do any better. I really don't think that you could do any better with what that was when it came out. I agree. Let's stay in 1978. 
Let's move up to August 21st of 1978, Jimmy. And the Who's Who Are You album comes out. Now, it's not the best album. I don't want to sit here and you, you make it seem like it is. I, I was hoping that you were going to say that because I, I wasn't going to be able to say that I thought it was a great album. No, but what it is, it's the last album with all four original members. And Who Are You, I I love the song. I really do like Who Are You. I think that's a really good song. Had Enough, a John Entwistle song, the bass player. I like that song. It was actually the um, the B-side of Who Are You when the single came out. Mm. I, I have it, so I remember that. And they did a song called Sister Disco, and it was kind of like Goodbye Sister Disco. They'd play it in a bunch of places, heavy synthesizer as they did it. And for some reason, I liked it. I couldn't get it out of my head. It's not the best song. It's not great. It's not even in the same sentence. But it's one of those things that you hear and you can't turn it off. I just like listening to it. So unfortunately, the album comes out August 21st, 78. In September of 78, Keith Moon, who was the drummer... Him and his girlfriend go to the preview of the movie The Buddy Holly Story, and they go with Paul and Linda McCartney. They go to an after party, and then after the party, they go back to their flat in England. And overnight, unfortunately, Keith overdoses on pills that were meant to help him alleviate cravings for alcohol. Mm. But he took too many of them, and that ultimately caused his death. And... That's sad. You don't want to see that happen. It changed the whole way the Who were, everything about them. And now it starts to get a little weird. The flat that Keith Moon was living in, he rented from Harry Nilsson. Now, Harry Nilsson had a hit, Without You, that was popular in the 70s, that was actually originally done by the band Badfinger, that was signed to Apple Records, which was a Beatles thing, that most of you don't know the song until Mariah Carey did it in 1994 and made it a a super hit. Harry Nilsson is also the guy that John Lennon hung out with for about two and a half years in his Lost Weekend episode of his life. Again, a future part of Music in My Shoes. But back to the task on hand is that this flat owned by Harry Nilsson, Keith Moon dies in it. Four years earlier, Nilsson had rented it out to Mama Cass of the Mamas and the Papas. Mama Cass had a heart attack in the same bedroom and died. Oh, my God. Four years earlier. What are the odds? I don't know, but it's, that's bad. Yeah, well, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Jimmy. I appreciate that. I mean, that. I could do some quick math, but... <laughs> I, I, I appreciate your honesty there. That was good. But urban legend has it that she died while eating a ham sandwich and choking on it. And that is... That's not, what it says in Austin Powers. That is not true. I thought that for many years also. <laughs> it is not true at all. It really it was, was... It was turkey. She had a heart attack and... I just find it just absolutely crazy that it's in the same room that Keith Moon dies in. 
I'm not sleeping there. I don't, don't think that I'm going to do it either. Yeah. I, I definitely don't think that I'm going to do it either. So I saw something the other day that I thought was kind of cool. Ed Sullivan show. So the Ed Sullivan show was on, I think it was about 1954 to 1971. I'm not 100%, but I think somewhere around those years. Just reached, and I saw this on Best Classic Bands. I read this online, Best Classic Bands. Two billion total views across all streaming channels. Two billion, which I think is, again, absolutely insane. And I know I say that a lot. I do think a lot of things are insane. But I find it really cool, actually, that the fact that, you know, it was a year ago that it hit 1 billion. It came to 2 billion within a year. Oh, wow. That means that there's a bunch of people that are looking that don't have any clue who Ed Sullivan is. And I find that cool. I really do that they're revisiting the past. They're getting to see shows. They're getting to see things that they would never see. One there's thing, a guy that would spin plates on it, I hear. Topo Gigio. Yes, actually. Uh, I mainly know that from hearing comedians from the 70s talk about the Ed Sullivan show, but yeah. Oh, there you go. You know. So I'm not going to lie. I just looked it up. Every Sunday night on CBS from 1948 to 1971 was the Ed Sullivan show. They did a great job of documenting all the shows, the recordings of all of the performers, which was not something that was done by shows. A lot of shows wanted to save money and they would just record right over. That's not what Ed Sullivan did. And there's a lot of bands now that they'll they'll release a single of a song from back in the day and they're releasing the live version that they did on the Ed Sullivan show. So many people know the Ed Sullivan show is where the Beatles first had their first performance here when they came over to America. But there's a ton of bands that were on there. You know, most people in America got their first fix of country music or R&B or blues or rock or whatever it was through the Ed Sullivan show. So what I think is really interesting, the most watched clip is I Want You Back by the Jackson 5, 75 million streams, followed by Elvis Presley's Hound Dog, 62 million, Don't Be Cruel by Elvis at 54 million, Ike and Tina Turner's Proud Mary at 48 million, and then the Temptations and Supremes medley, Get ready, stop in the name of love, my guy, 38 million. And last but not least, Neil Diamond's Sweet Caroline at 48 million streams. That's really cool. Where where the Beatles? Were they in that list? They're not on the list. Yeah. You know? That's amazing. But but that's what really intrigues me about this whole thing is so many people really are getting to see and learn about music from back in the day that they wouldn't any other way and they're getting to see it when the they're really performing and they're getting you know uh ed sullivan when he's saying really big show and (laughs) all of that that that's pretty cool so and there was no lip syncing i mean it was real live performance yes so you had to be good Mm -hmm. you know you had to be good 
Well, Jimmy, this is the end of episode seven. And I'd like to thank you, Jimmy Guthrie, who is not just the show producer, but the owner of Arcade 160 Studios here in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'd like to thank Vic Thrill for our podcast music. And if I didn't say it enough, you can contact us at musicinmyshoes at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Jim Boge, and I hope you learned something new or remembered something old. Take care.